0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of In Our 1990s, the podcast where your two hosts are ranking all of the alternative albums of the 90s. I'm your host, Natalie, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Adrian. How are you doing, Adrian? Oh, not so bad. Probably better than me. I've had a headache all day long, which is why I'm going to try to keep my voice low and soft throughout this episode so I don't wind myself up and bring back the headache.
1: I, uh, I had, uh... Two pots of coffee, the the second of which is still in this thermos over here. I'm doing pretty good.
0: <laughs> you sound extremely measured. <laughs> this is going to be a forcibly low-key podcast. I'm trying not to injure my wife. Some albums with some hooting and hollering on them.
1: Hooting and hollering?
0: Well, there's hooting and hollering on Throwing Copper. Oh, God. So we're going to start off this week with... Uh, My pick for the week, which is from 1994, it is Live's second album, but by far their most popular, Um, and it is called Throwing Copper, like I just said. So, you'd heard this album before, but you didn't know it.
1: Yeah, I didn't, I I never really knew the the band Live, I didn't know their name, I just knew the the sound of that guy's voice, which was (laughs) somewhere between... Between Eddie, a hoot and a holler? <laughs> between Eddie Vedder and the dude from Nickelback, which I think is, like, it's, like, right in the middle of, of those voices.
0: Yeah, I mean, Nickelback definitely, like, ripped Stole them so
1: off. much from this band. And this band is actually better than Nickelback, but, um... I mean... But, like, there's, like, name five... Name a band that's not. <laughs> uh, fine China. Um, what? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm <laughs> joking.
0: You said you weren't gonna you weren't gonna injure me. <laughs> that that was very injurious.
1: <laughs> All right, so yeah, uh, I I knew most of this album just by existing on car lots between the mid nineties to the early two thousands. My father enforced me being volunteer labor to serve ice cream and drinks to people buying used cars while radio stations did. Live remote broadcasts from the car lots. That's such a weird
0: thing. Why do they do that?
1: It's just to 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 get people to come down to see the, hear the, to meet the DJs, and sometimes there's like some giveaways and whatever.
0: Does the car lot have to pay the radio station? I don't know what the radio station gets out of that. I've
1: never, I never really looked into it that far. I just know that I spent many a summer dealing with it. And so I heard every song on this album to some degree besides the one that's, like, shit something? Shit Town. Shit Town, yes. Uh, That song was not played on the radio.
0: No, Shit Town wasn't, Waitress wasn't.
1: But most of the songs on the album were, because they were in kind of the automated playlist that you just hit play on a thing and it just shuffles songs.
0: I mean, this album had a fair number of singles, Selling the Drama, I Alone, Lightning Crashes, All Over You.
1: I mean, Selling the Drama and I Alone have for sure been like the most played songs. If you go to any, if you listen to any alternative radio station, by the time it hits like 7pm, one of those songs could play.
0: Well, Lightning Crashes was like the big huge monster hit off this album. Which is
1: crazy because I alone sounds like is the one that I and away remember.
0: I I alone is the one I'm gonna have to like like cut this in here. It's the one with the amazing Beavis and Butthead video. Where where the <laughs> where Butthead is like, he's checking you out, Beavis. I think this dude is checking you out, Beavis. No, I'm not. <laughs> liar yeah yeah. He is He's like i like what i think
1: i'll be right over Shut up,
0: <laughs> and it's it's all the better because at that point in in the i alone video um ed kowalczyk who is live senior, has his head shaved except for like a like halfway down his back rat tail that is braided
1: that's a choice it's a real look that's
0: a choice a, he made it's a real look um yeah so live um so I I knew live before this album I was a live hipster um not really so I had this weird superpower when I was like 13 which was the anytime I would anytime a radio station was giving away a copy of an album if I called in I won it like every time I had so many CDs I don't understand what it is they would say you know 15th taller or whatever gets it i would win it every time one time just to show off my friend and i were about to leave my house and and i had the radio on and as we were about to walk out the door they gave away a cd i was like hold on i'm gonna call and win the cd and i did (laughs) so i got live's first album mental jewelry that way um i called and won it on a radio station i don't remember that station ever playing any song but songs by live off of the first album um they i mean they would off of throwing copper of course because it was huge but like the first album got virtually no play outside of like college radio i don't think
1: well i did a tour of their their play of their discography when we started we started listening to this album and i didn't really remember any other song outside of things on this album so like
0: yeah, they had a really weird trajectory where they went from completely unknown to huge to like has been laughingstocks within the course of three albums.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: It, like, it, they're because they the first album was I don't remember what year it was, but it was very you could tell that they were like, we're gonna be the REM for the 90s.
1: And there's a lot of REM like early on in this album, like, it did, like, they definitely have cribbed some the way that R.E.M. plays music from them and then added their their odd dad rock
0: Yeah, aesthetic. and Mental Jewelry is, like, way funkier, too. Like, there's a lot of slap bass on that album. Um, and, like, I don't... Like, I respect that album more than this one. Like, we'll get into our feelings on this album, but, like, I, I don't know that I would say Mental Jewel. I mean, it's definitely not more polished. It, it's more the, like... The very sincere, if not always great, first album. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also not nearly as embarrassing as this album, though. This album is very
1: embarrassing. Because, man,
0: are the lyrics pretty bad in retrospect on this album.
1: Yeah, just don't think about them.
0: So my other embarrassing live story is that uh, the girl I had a crush on in high school, this was like her favorite album. And so I listened to this album a lot I was because of that.
1: I was going to make a joke that many a woman in life has had their heart broken by someone who's who thinks this is their favorite album because <laughs> it very much has that vibe of some asshole dude is like just fucking loves this album and then you're to left going why
0: I I fucking learned to play all the all the singles off this album it it got me nowhere in the end um but yeah I forced my band to cover. Um, which one did I force them to cover? I think it was "All Over You."
1: That's e- the either point. that
0: or "Lightning Crashes." When she came to our practice, so yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's my embarrassing, my embarrassing life story. Probably why I disliked this album so much.
1: Now. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a, it, so look. This album is not necessarily the most like storied or prestigious, but I don't think it's bad.
0: Th- no, it's it's not bad. It's it, the lyrics are. I mean, the lyrics aren't even terrible. Like, so there's a phrase that Dan Dennett, well, apparently his friend's teenage daughter coined this term, and he he stole it because he liked it so much. It, it the term is deepity. It's when you say things that sound profound and are meaningless. And I feel like so many of the lyrics on this album are deepities.
1: Yeah, I can hear that. Like
0: it's so
1: it, uh, the, the, this is like one obsession with Jesus to the left of creed.
0: Right. Uh, and I mean he's fairly obsessed with Jesus, but he's more obsessed with with Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um it, so like uh, something else that we need to mention up front. There are two two men in this band named Chad.
1: <laughs> two
0: Chads in live. Two Chads. It's it's like two chains, only way worse. Like, two
1: Chads complain
0: <laughs> Two Chads are not gonna explain anything. I said complain. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> the two chains explains reference, which man
1: I fucking miss the nightly show. If you
0: don't like two chains, you just have to see two chains explains. Yep. Um anyway, so yeah, so this is a really the, the most interesting thing about this album now is the remnants of the R.E.M. love. Like, Shit Town is obviously R.E.M.-inspired. Like, it's the most R.E.M.-inspired thing on the album. Um, and I would say that, like, to some extent, Waitress... Um, which I'll, like. Which might sound weird if you know that song really well because you cannot imagine Michael Stipe saying she was a bitch but, um, I mean I can't no, I, I can't either um, I mean I can oh you can, yes. yeah I can't I can't hear Michael, Michael Stipe singing the lyrics to Waitress but like there's a so they have this sort of like naive socialism that they got from R.E.M. probably but also like Ed Kowalczyk is just so up the ass of like Eastern mysticism and Buddhism and and mixing it with Christianity in a way that's really like Zoe Glass <laughs> or yeah. Seymour Glass. Oh god. Like it, it's just you can you can totally see him like haranguing his sister for hours on end about about religion and not doing it the right way. Like don't don't say you can't.
1: Oh no I can. Um yeah, I I definitely picked up on the like. There's some like flirtation with leftist ideas here, and then it just goes nowhere because there's no actual commitment
0: to that. But yeah, and that's the the problem with his with this combination of like bro shamanism and and socialism is they're completely at odds with each other because one is complete mysticism and the other is is total realism yeah and it i mean just it's partially just given my political leanings that i find the the socialist parts way more interesting than the the mysticism parts because i'm completely non-religious um so it's i wish that the he had been aware of the tension between those two belief systems. And like, if this album were the story of the struggle between socialism and mysticism, like that could make for a really good album. And instead it's just like one song he's singing about, you know, the angel open, opens her eyes. And then another song he's singing about, you know, the alienation of factory workers and it they don't go together and can't go together, in my opinion. And good for him. He doesn't try. <laughs> but bad for the album, I guess.
1: I mean, I think, that, I think they could go together. It just depends on...
0: I'm not saying you can't be, like, a religious socialist. I'm just saying that when you are this into, like... When you have your head shaved and have a braided rat tail and are singing about, you know... I am your great teacher. I alone tempt you. It, you're probably not like gonna be the the best Marxist <laughs> at the same time. Yeah,
1: but no, there's there's some some like douchebag theism undercurrent to a lot of this.
0: Yeah, so uh,
1: I do I do want to make the 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 claim that you can have re- you can have religion without theism. Reli- oh yeah, religious practice does not n- inherently require you to be theistic. That's just my. You no, know, general. Being a a weird atheist of the week thing.
0: Yeah, and and I don't, I wouldn't necessarily call all mysticism theistic either. Like, no, I mean like
1: there's there's uh, secular witchcraft. There's
0: just any general supernaturalism. Yeah, I mean the supernaturalism of the nineteenth century didn't necessarily require you know, the 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 god of of Abraham. So musically because we're talking a lot about the lyrics um i don't think this has held up well musically
1: no it's very much of the time i mean i think like i alone or yeah is that what that song is called um yes i think i alone holds up all right musically just because it's it's very much a just banger when it comes to the way that they're playing but that holds its its own with like can you take Take me higher and any nickelback song. <laughs> like, look, like it's those a- those songs aren't necessarily good, but like if you put them on in a room full of white people, someone's gonna go, yeah. So like that's that's where that song's history has led it. Um uh, so that holds up in that regard. It's just a very it's a very sense of place and gathering. That you, for lack of a better term
0: like, okay, okay we're not going you know, to compare them to juggalos
1: no no no, no I, because I, I like
0: juggalos more than I, 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 I like I
1: didn't mean it in terms of, of juggalos it's not the gathering it's a <laughs> gathering I,
0: I will take, take hanging out with some juggalos over hanging out with a shaman anyway. oh hell yeah
1: I would too because uh, juggalos are you know fucking comrades But uh, I alone, I I distinctly remember I was at some, some friend's birthday party in the early 2000s, like 2002, and her drunk aunt kept telling me how much I needed to find Jesus because I was wearing all black in the middle of the Arkansas summer on a farm where her dad had been doing donuts in a burnout car, and I had been in that car for many a ride because it was the best thing to do besides being in a room with her drunk aunt. And at some point the drunk aunt turns on the radio station and just blares this song so <laughs> loud it made the barn vibrate. So that's how I remember that song and it is burned into my brain and it is the it is the soundtrack for all drunk aunts who want you to find Jesus while consuming lots and lots of beer.
0: <laughs> um if you are interested in the the lyrics to this album I do recommend um, going on Genius because they're actually like pretty good annotations. They're like two people who have annotated the shit out of the lyrics to this album and like thoroughly tried to explain what all this shit is about. And um, like I, I mean, it's it's pretty good. It they there were maybe a couple of points where I thought they were stretching, but um, according to them, I alone because I was ready to come in here and say I alone is the grossest song we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it is so just like guy who only wants to sleep with girls who haven't lost their virginity, um, who you know is gonna like make them do DMT and and <laughs> and, like, and then have non consensual sex with them while calling himself their spiritual guide, but like according to Genius, it's a sort of a retelling of the Gospel of Luke,
1: Not and yeah. so
0: the first verse where he's talking about like your anchor is out you've been swept away is supposed to be you know Jesus on the roiling sea sleeping through the the storm and saying you know why do you still have no faith so that's a much more charitable read of that song than I had obviously yeah so so music we were talking about the music though not not the lyrics again. Yes um i i just i don't feel like they they're not as good of musicians as pearl jam but they try to structure their songs similarly and it's like part of why pearl jam could do that is because they could fucking shred yes very much so you can't have your songs just drag on and on while the singer hoots and hollers and not also have like someone who can play a a kick-ass guitar solo in there and, like, they don't really play kick-ass guitar solos, but then they also don't really go in the opposite direction enough. Like, I don't think that these songs, like... I mean, yeah, they're they're kind of hooky, but, like, they're not arranged... They're, they're, like, pop songs. Yeah. So it's not pop grunge, and it's not Pearl Jam Shred, and it's just kind of, like... Lots of just playing the rhythm guitar over and over. Yeah,
1: and like I think the most like almost inventive song is like "White Discussion" and like that falls apart.
0: And what a terrible fucking title, "White, comma, Discussion."
1: White discussion. <laughs> it should have a, it should have a, a question mark on the end because I think that should probably that was that's the intent. But I don't know that that song is definitely the one where it's more like I would talk about socialism and then I'm gonna not
0: be good about it. <laughs> <laughs> well I mean to be fair he is saying like if you talk about revolution and don't do anything you're a fucking poser you know you have to actually you you have to actually take action for change to happen which I think is distinctly at odds with all the mysticism once again mm-hmm. um you know he also talks a whole hell of a lot about meditating and shit like that and this, this album
1: is just kind of a mess and it, it's it's fitting that the the this fucking mess was a charting success.
0: I it's so weird. Like these are not radio hits.
1: But they are you know perennial kind of like hits at this point because like everyone's heard a song off this album. If you exist in the United States of America, you have heard a song off this album. I don't care how sheltered you are. Someone in your like there are there are Dugger children right now who are still <laughs> living in their compound who have heard at least one of these songs.
0: Yeah. Uh, Lightning crashes. I can see how that was like the monster hit off the album because it does have that like sappy sentimentality that that got whatever the creed song is that that's a big can you
1: take me yes yes
0: it was i've never listened to that song all the way through so Um, whichever one it is where he's like shirtless on a cliff doing the jesus crucifixion pose um so yeah like lightning Trashes has that kind of that kind of sappy sentimentality that americans can't get enough of so i see how it was a huge hit and it's not, you know, it's it's not a bad chorus by any means, but like to me, the, again, like I think "Shit Town" is like a, a, an actual good song that holds oh, up
1: truly, and like it's it doesn't overstay its as
0: welcome. It has more interesting lyrics that are about something real.
1: That's a song you wouldn't mind suffering through if they opened for someone else. Like you'd yeah, hit, they'd play that song last and be like, yeah, that was not so bad.
0: Yeah, so I, I think Shit Town is the best song. I think I I actually, the song that I would come back to, weirdly enough, is the one that's like the most throwaway, which is stage. Huh. It's like, I, I think the chorus on stage, like, fucking rips. <laughs> like, it's really good.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, I alone, I listened to that song several times a day because I was like, man, this is taking me back to a lot of nostalgia feels. That song's not great, but it is. it just hit in a way that I was like, mm. Yeah, we're living a lot of trauma and also some joy.
0: <laughs> All over you is not not bad. Um, I think that Iris is pretty good and and like kind of a rock like it's again like hard rock and REM. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, waitress is okay, but like
1: that that struck me very primitive. Radio Gods. I don't know that song just really just hit me that way.
0: Yeah, I don't hear that, but it, it's it, I mean, there's some wawa pedal in it. <laughs> um, God, what else? I think stage is like that. Just has like the best hook on the whole album, though. The he was a rock and roll messiah. She was known for her childcare, mm. which is like his snarky reference to Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love, <laughs> which is funny because the album came out in April of 1994, which is when Kurt Cobain killed himself. So good timing. <laughs>
1: Yep, gotta be you know
0: empathetic and on the pulse um yeah so i don't know what else to, i mean i think it's like kind of a mediocre like post grunge kind of like i mean oh absolutely. we talked about how good the toadies like post grunge was in the same year and this is like the exact opposite like the toadies learned all the good lessons and live like learned all the bad ones. Oh yeah, from no. If, if,
1: if albums were sentient, the Toadies album would just beat the fuck out of this album. Like it would, it <laughs> yeah. would catch it outside the club and be like, "What are you fucking doing?" And just beat the fucking shit out of it. And just and-
0: such a more interesting take on religion. I mean, like yes. "Backslider" is like says, and and "I Burn" like those songs have so much more of interest to say about religion than this entire album, which just drones on and fucking on about about you know. The, yeah, the wheel of time and the song that's called TBD that stands for Tibetan book of the dead Oh my god! like this song this album just can't like stop telling you about the fact that it, it's read you know that studied the Rig Veda
1: yeah and 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 the the Tony's album is very much of its time and of its state like they're very much Texan musicians describing Texas folk and creep Right. And, and this
0: album's at its best. I mean, this band's from York, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And the best songs are Shit Town and, you know, Pillar of Davidson, which is about factory workers. And, like, they're very much at their best when they're singing what they know, which is, like, Rust Belt alienation.
1: Yeah. And the Toadies were very much talking about, like, the the, the fucked concept of being religious in the South. And, I mean, because the song, like, Backslider is very much just, like, the constant cosmic weight and mental degradation that comes from, you know, nearly drowning someone for Jesus.
0: Right. The bottom line, we would much rather be listening to Rubberneck again than Oh, uh, yes, album. I would very
1: much like to listen to Rubberneck again. I almost bought that album on vinyl.
0: Alright, so unless you have anything else you want desperately need to say about throwing copper, I'm ready to rank it.
1: I'm ready to throw this copper out.
0: Yeah, I think we're gonna throw this copper Toward the bottom of the list,
1: I like like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be fair. It's not like the fucking worst thing I've ever heard. Oh God, no!
0: So so let me make my case here. I think this is better than Eve Six.
1: I was gonna say that. Yes,
0: I think it's better than Until Anesthesia. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's better than that second TV. I don't
0: think it's better than Peak Hour. I think new 43 between peak hour and angel anesthesia anesthesia is where i would put this
1: that's exactly when i was listening to this i was like this is gonna go above e6 but i know i don't know much about how far above e6 (laughs) yeah i
0: I don't so i don't think that like peak hour is super great or anything i I think it It similarly was like kind of doing its thing a little too late but So, I mean, in a way, I would say this is like a tie between Mm -hmm. the band that was doing grunge, put out their grunge epic, The Month Kurt Cobain Killed Himself, and and the band that put out their, you know, that was putting out their acid house trips into like the mid-90s. But anyway, I would say this is about a tie with Peach Hour, and Peach Hour is like, cooler because genesis p orage is involved so yeah i would put that pete put peak hour above that fucking
1: 13 minute just trip ass song it's just like great <laughs> like i'll put that thing on and be like i forget that i have it on and then it's still happening and i'm like i got a lot of stuff done while the song was playing
0: <laughs> <laughs> that reminded me i needed to correct myself because on the episode where we talked about spooky i said that um wire sued elastica over I think I said that they said them over the song lineup and it actually it was about it was the song connection. Is connection is the one that's the chord progression from Three Girl Rumba, not hmm. not lineup. So I forgot to do a correction on that, so I'll just do it here at the worst possible time while we're reading another album. <laughs>
1: we're going to start as a well actually uh, correction segment for our show.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so throwing copper is the new number forty-three, going I'm in between uh, peak hour by Psychic TV and Uncle Anastasia by the Streaming Trees. I I think that's totally that's completely totally fair. Fine. That's fair. Yeah, some people will not think so. This this there are people, the people who still like live think this is a real fucking masterpiece.
1: Uh, they need so to if any of those people to...
0: listen to this podcast they're not gonna be happy with this ranking but well,
1: they fucking found us now hi but, y'all
0: <laughs> there, there you go mental jewelry is probably a better album we'll, <laughs> we'll rank it eventually <laughs> secret samadhi is, is definitely not going to this they're, or or birds of prey p-r-a-y
1: I'm just I'm I'm just mentally listening to "I Burn" to get out of this conversation.
0: All right, so let's let's take a break, and then we'll come back and talk about a, a much better album uh, by Shudder the Think. <laughs> We are back, and it's time to talk about our second album this week, which is 50,000 BC by Shudder to Think, which is Hadrian's pick for velvety, golden reasons.
1: <laughs> so Shudder to Think is a weird fucking weird band. That's I'm just going to put that out there as the front of this. So they started off as a hardcore band that been, then moved swiftly into post-hardcore, which then moved into uh, alternative pop. And then... During this whole process, uh, Craig Warden, the, the lead singer of Shutter to Think, developed uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and by the time he recovered from Hodg- Hodgkin's lymphoma, is what we're listening now, is when they had cemented their, themselves as more pop-focused. It's still- this album has a kind of a, a through line to their entire career, uh, because I feel that Craig's voice- Lent itself a great deal to the post-hardcore music that is still being made, and definitely in the time that this was, because he there's a way that he sings that is somewhere between hardcore and Coheed and Cambria. That sometimes it just hits this this register where you know every band that has listened to his music, and they're copying his voice.
0: He has good range. I'll his, definitely do him that.
1: He has amazing range, which is the main reason and why Natalie alluded to Velvet Goldmine, uh, oh fuck, what's that motherfucker's name? I have to look it up real quick, hold on, I'm sorry. Brian Slade. Alright, because I thought it was probably Brian, but I couldn't remember it. Anyway, so in Velvet Goldmine, uh, that the, the film about a, a popular musician named Brian Slade, who, made Glamrock a thing after stealing a pin that supposedly belonged to Oscar Wilde from a person who's definitely not supposed to be Brian Eno. And then, look, Velvet Goldmine's a fucking ride, and if you lo- know anything about, like, Glamrock, that m- film is not accurate, but it is accurate in some regards of, like, depicting Bowie. Which makes it interesting that Craig Worden was the voice chosen to be Brian Slade's voice for the band Maxwell Demon in in the movie, which is... David Bowie and he I think and I talked I talked about this in text with Natalie today but I feel that like Craig Warden embodies a certain playful and range-filled aspect of David Bowie that people who mimic and imitate David Bowie do not have this man can just fucking belt and then he does whatever the fuck he wants to with it and that is more Bowie-like than just mimicking Bowie's voice and I think that had a direct impact on why he was chosen to do the the, the singing in Velvet Goldmine. This album happened in '97, which was immediately before uh, Velvet Goldmine was released. And I think it had some, and so started to think is credited with doing the two Maxwell Demon songs for the album, or for the uh, for the movie and the album for the movie. And I think this album had a strong impact on why they did that because it, this plays with. A neoglam and post hardcore and alternative pop in a way that is not necessarily con- like always harmonious but it is not a bad experience There, there this album tries to do stuff that's not necessarily gonna, you're not going to remember for days on end but you will at least not regret having listened to it naturally
0: Red House is a fucking great song Yes, it is. God damn. That song was the highlight of the past week for me. <laughs> I fucking loved it so much.
1: See, I love The Man Who Rolls in The Saddest Day of My Life as well, but yeah, Red House fucking slaps.
0: Yeah, God, what a fucking awesome song. Just that song alone gets us. This- Way up the list in my book,
1: <laughs> uh, uh, Resident Wine's also good. Yeah, and... I
0: have Resident Wine down as so uh, an influence that you didn't mention and that is immediately evident to me on the song "All Eyes Are Different" is Elvis Costello.
1: Yes, very much so.
0: Man, is there some Elvis Costello love going on here? <laughs> like it's mainly concentrated in that song, but the the uh, my biggest complaint with this album is it. it I think that the um, I think the song order could be better. Mm-hmm. I think it's got a bit of a saggy middle going on between Red House and All Eyes Are Different. And then All Eyes Are Different hits and it's so different from, like, the album's, like, rocking pretty hard up to that point. And then that song hits and it's like, oh, here's some, you know, it's not necessarily as mellow as, like, Allison, but it's it's definitely some, like jazz pop Elvis Trostello going on and it kind of woke me back up um, yeah
1: like this this album is when I say this is not like something you remember a lot of it's because it, it is flowing in a weird way and I think it's a good testament to where two members of this band went shortly after this album and shortly after Velvet Goldmine uh, Craig Borden and then I forget the other man's name uh, they both just left to do film scores uh, Craig Craig Warden is still performing uh, solo music, which is great because his voice is amazing and you don't want to lose that. Uh, but yeah, they they dived hardcore into film scores, and you can kind of feel that with this album because this is an album of musicians. These are mm-hmm. these are people who are very good at doing their music, and they they are not shooting for the moon, but they are making something that is in musically cohesive, in a way that's thought and structured, and it's something that we don't get a lot of. Like I think things to compare it to would be probably like the divine comedy on level of just like thought and structure to music.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There there are some real weird chord changes on this album, Hmm. like songs that don't, don't go where you expect them to, which I mean, I'm a fan of, of melodies and pop songs and the hooks. And sometimes I found that frustrating but, like, at the same time, I could definitely respect, I mean, especially put up against live, where it's just so, like, I, I just really don't think the musicianship is, like, fantastic on throwing copper. They had a five-chord um, They
1: had a. They had a five chord exchange, sometimes only a three-chord exchange, and that was it.
0: And to go from that into this, where, you know, there's different time signatures and these unexpected kind of jazzy chord changes, and... It, I definitely appreciated it even more than normal, and and Wedren, Craig, I think is, it, I think it's Wedren, isn't it? W e d r e n. Anyway, it doesn't matter that much. Um, the singer's voice is very good; has a ton of range. Um, the song "Hop on One Foot" appears to be a tribute to Liz Fraser's cover of "Song to the Siren" on "This Mortal Coil" by "This Mortal Coil." Um, you which is, shit. I mean, it could be a tribute to the Tim Buckley version, like the original that that's a cover of, but the way he's, some of the vocal, um, expressions he is doing on that song sound way more like he listened to Liz Frazier and was <laughs> way, into, way into it. And when you get a dude doing Liz Frazier shit, like that obviously is like high high praise from me.
1: And that and that's all honestly I think that's why he was chosen to to be the voice of the David Bowie character in Velvet Goldmine because he just has this like immense amount of flourish and polish in his voice that he can do damn near anything. Uh I think there's like I hear some, like strains of like Coheed and Cambria uh and I liked early Coheed and Cambria for a lot of like the vocal uh craft. I don't know how else to describe it. Like it, yeah. it's Coined Cameras a real fucking thing and but early on, super good. And so
0: yeah, it's kind of hard to describe this album because it you can't put this on a single genre.
1: No, and that's the, and that's that's why I use it as like this is the last hurrah for a band that is comprised of competent amazing musicians who are about to just do their own thing. It is it is a sign of the times for a band that started in the 80s, into the the late 90s, just, they're too good, and this is what, like, Space Hog wishes they sounded like, I think, almost directly, because Early Shutter to Think sounds somewhat like this, and I think that was also an influence on what uh, Space Hog was doing, but, like, you can't, you can't just fuck around around and find out, It's kind of like what (laughs) happened with Space Hog compared to this, because god damn like there's not one song that truly stands out above the rest because everything is just so
0: no red house, does. Red, house does. <laughs> red house is is so so great like
1: but beyond red house like this this album just sort of just like flows and you kind of don't want it to end and it, it feels very short even though it's necessarily not compared to some albums we've done like it it just you don't want it to end it, it's it's such a good harmonious experience I, I'm glad I picked this one because I, I, sp- I wanted to do Shredder to Think and I kept thinking about which one to do. And this is a problem that's going to be for the next like several podcasts because I've been sitting here staring at an entire discography being like, fuck, what do I start with? <laughs> I don't regret starting with this one because you need to understand Shredder to Think and you need to understand where Shredder to Think went because they just diffused into creating sounds that you've heard and are a part of your life even today. But it started with this.
0: Well, I mean, it definitely didn't start with this. Yeah, but but I think <laughs> but,
1: but I think I use this I use this album as kind of like a sign of the times that they were just going to go do their own thing because they they had achieved being too cohesive.
0: Another band I would kind of want to compare this to, and this may sound crazy, but uh, Catherine Wheel. Oh, I get it. Um not that they sound like Catherine Wheel necessarily at all, but Catherine Wheel had a similar like you really wanted to pigeonhole them, and it was really hard. I mean, because at a glance, it's like oh, they're a shoegaze band, but not really. They're, they're there's too much dynamics and too much traditional musicianship um, for for it to be pure shoegaze, and and that's how I feel about this. Like it's. It's almost alternative rock and it's almost indie rock. And I mean, Red House is a pretty indie rock song. Um, And it's but then it has, you know, the Elvis Costello stuff. And just in general, like a kind of jazzy, um, it's informed by jazz throughout. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it really hard to pin it down, which is which is good you know you need you need the music for the musicians sometimes and that's definitely what this is but it's not that in the way that like Yngwie Malmsteen is yeah and I and I definitely give
1: Shredder to think an honorable mention in the hall of like glam to neo-glam because they're not they're obviously not trying to reach that they're not doing something that's like we're going to mimic a glam band but they do things that invoke a certain essence that I appreciate, and th- that's an aspect of glam that's not really discussed, is that it was very much borrowing from jazz and and blues and making it and merging it into a pop format that was subversive. And I don't think Shredder to Think is necessarily doing that a lot on this album, but it's not a bad show. And like I think there's just there's so much creativity and so much inspiration that's filtered through this one piece, this one comp, like arrangement that it's like it's hard to put it anywhere like you said it's hard to pigeonhole you can't really describe what this band sounds like or does without ever like making people listen to it and I think you should listen to it because given their trajectory if I told you they were a post-hardcore band you would probably have some some real stances on what they sound like and they're almost none of their albums sound the same because that is that is the hallmark of Musicians on a journey who are going to stop being a band and just venture out on their own careers because they have been enhancing and perfecting a sound that is not necessarily one sound.
0: This does kind of sound like an album that is a band reaching their artistic peak. Mm-hmm. I-, I can definitely see them not lasting a long time after this because, like, it just, it's kind of a "what more is there to accomplish?" kind of <laughs> kind of album. I mean, uh, that that may be. You know, I I might say the same thing about about uh, "Non-Such" by HTC, and it's our number one album. And I don't think this is like, I don't think this ends up in the top ten. But like, it's similarly, you can feel them like hitting the, you know, this is this is. (laughs) I I was about to say hitting the back walls of their style. Oh no. I'm sorry. My my head has been killing me all day long. I'm I'm thinking of things like that right now. But this is a band hitting the back walls of their style, and it may just be time to move on after that.
1: Oh, they should probably just write this album, because I don't <laughs> know what else the fuck to fucking say at that point.
0: I'm sorry. I've killed the show.
1: That's fine. I like this album a whole lot. You should listen to it. I don't think it's one of the greatest albums of all time, but I do think it is incredibly important. And you need to know who Shudder the Think is, because they are, like outrageously influential over bands like the Deftones and if you like the Deftones like you should listen to Shed Thing
0: <laughs> okay well where are you thinking about putting this one?
1: Um, I'm thinking scroll up uh,
0: uh 13 um let's see you think this is better than Rubberneck?
1: I think it it for the 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 craftsmanship and its influence. Yes, I think that it's not as directly memorable as the as Rubberneck, but I think it is a sort of a crafty masterpiece as far as it goes.
0: Yeah, it's definitely better musicianship, and that's not a knock on the Toadies at all. It's, it's just it's this is much more unusual than.
1: I think it, I think it hangs in that area. Like I'm willing to listen to other, listen to other placements. I just think it, it's up in that range.
0: No, I'm having a hard time coming up with an argument against that. Um, I, it, my only real argument is just I think the Toadies album has less fat on it than this mm-hmm. does. I mean, there are some songs on this that I'm just like, just I I didn't find it all memorable.
1: And I think that comes down to the Toadies are a lean show band. Like they. Do shows? They were touring. They were, they were, they were getting their their five hundred dollars and bouncing. Like that's what that album feels like. Mm-hmm. And this album is very much like people who don't need that. They yeah. accomplished. So yeah,
0: I feel like I would put on Rubberneck and listen to the whole album again, and I would not do that with this album. Um, I, like I, I, I think like Call of the Playground is really good. I think obviously I've said it over and over. Red House just is is like that went on my favorite songs of all time playlist after li- the first time I listened to it. Um, but like a lot of the record doesn't really stand out for me. So I, I think I would ask if we could put it at, at 14, but just below Rubberneck instead of just above.
1: I think that's fine. I, I'm i willing to, uh, I love Rubberneck a lot. I was, I didn't, I wasn't sure how much you appreciated that album. Oh yeah, no, to... I think it's really good. Yeah. So I think that, I think that's fine. I think with the 14, 15 range, like, 14 through 13 through 15 range is like a fine place for this album
0: yeah i mean i think it's it's definitely better than where have all the merry makers gone again i like anxiety by fei wan more because it's exactly my style of music but i don't think it's a better album so i'm fine with putting this at number 14 between rubberneck and by the toadies and anxiety by fei wan sounds good to me all right all right so we did not have man it's getting hard to scroll through our list (laughs) <laughs> um so yeah like i was just saying while typing that in in a part that has now been edited out we've ranked 50 albums now i did not realize that was gonna we were hitting that milestone in this episode oh
1: yeah no we've been doing this for a bit now because we... we did
0: the four four album episode so we're hitting it in episode 24 instead of episode 25
1: yeah we've done a lot of we've done a lot of fucking albums this show is long as shit
0: (laughs) definitely the longest we've ever done a podcast
1: oh fuck yeah like we've had little mishaps here and there recently but that's because it's covid times and also our health is a priority yeah uh but we're still doing it because we're going to do it
0: so uh no changes again to our top 10 this week but uh we're gonna start with number 10 10 by Pearl Jam. Number 9, Without You I'm Nothing by Placebo. Number 8, Kill Uncle by Morrissey. Number 7, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number 6, Is Spooky by Lush. Number 5, Vary by the Pet Shop Boys. Number 4, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. And number 3, Liberation by the Divine Comedy. Number 2, Get Lost by the Magnetic Fields. And at number 1, Nonesuch by XTC. Nonsuch. Nonsuch. I don't think we ever agreed on how that was pronounced
1: i think it's nonsuch
0: yeah i mean that's how it's spelled but yeah. i thought maybe it was some weird old english thing
1: it is technically but it's because it's based off the of nonsuch palace but like let's not th- let's not worry about however
0: it. you say it it's the best album best alternative album of the 90s right now
1: i'm gonna have a hard fucking time dethroning it
0: I'd, i can think of one album i would put above it <laughs> which will be in our last episode <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it'll be our next last episode, because if I put it in the last episode, you'll just give up to get me to stop arguing. Um,
1: Then I drop a real banger.
0: (laughs) What are you bringing next week, Adrian?
1: Uh, Well, I'm technically bringing two albums, but we're only going to do one of them for the sake of my sanity. Um, Yeah,
0: we're just going to put it on the list as like one title slash the other title, because it's basically the same album. Yeah, so
1: we're going to do James' self-titled album in the U.S., slash Goldmother in the UK, and I'm going to do the American version, which is just James by James, uh, because I don't like the remix of Come Home on Goldmother. Uh, so, Goldmother technically first. It came out in 1990, and and James came out in 1991, but this album fucking rocks, so I'm really excited about this for next week. Yeah.
0: And I am doing a somewhat obscure... Um, indie album from 1993 which is the self-titled debut by a band called suddenly tammy um if you remember suddenly tammy congratulations you also liked tori amos in the early 90s (laughs) um if, if you want if you ever wanted if you ever thought i like tori amos but i wish she had more of an indie rock sound that's suddenly tammy so look forward to it nice dude um in the meantime you can see our full rankings at Bitly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. You can also go search on Spotify for our complete show playlist. Every album that we have ranked up to this point, all 50 of them. It's a hell of a playlist.
1: It's very very long.
0: <laughs> I would I would uh, venture to guess one of the few playlists on Spotify that has both Ween and Joy Electric on it.
1: Oh, very very certainly.
0: Um, and in the meantime, you can also listen to all of our episodes on Spotify, or you can subscribe, and someday I will get the YouTube page upload, updated again. I think I'm like three or four episodes behind now. I don't want to make videos. Uh, anyway, I think that's all for this week. I want to go not sit in an office chair for, for a while.